It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We start off the program today like we start off every program. Three big things to know about. And interestingly today, even though on the program there's going to be plenty of conversation about, you know, the latest stuff involving President Trump in Washington. um, Today, the three big things None, none of the three are, are Trump related. I still try. To, I'm always trying to find that balance between, you know, how much time do we spend on national issues versus local issues versus state issues. And uh, today, none of the three things uh, fall into the Trump category. All right. Story number one, as I said a minute ago, most people spend their Memorial Day at picnics. Uh, the Memorial Day weekend at picnics or parades, uh, some outstanding parades. I, I hear the local parade was tremendous. Um, West Bend, I heard a tremendous uh, Memorial Day parade as well. And a lot of people, of course, remembering that the purpose of Memorial Day is to recognize people who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can all enjoy the freedoms that we have. So that's how most people spend Memorial Day. In Milwaukee, on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee, once the weather starts to get nice, there is a certain certain hardcore element of people who decide to celebrate Memorial Day in different ways, which is pulling out guns, robbing and shooting each other. A bloody weekend in Milwaukee. Um, now, by Chicago standards, I guess this is nothing, but that's not something you want to aspire to. Aspire to. Four people killed, 14 people wounded in Milwaukee over Memorial Day. Um just staggering. So far, 40 people have been killed in homicides compared to 42 at the same time last year. That, okay, it's down by two. That is nothing to brag about. Um, the problem is, again, you have people with the impulse control of fruit flies who are out there committing crimes. Two of the shootings uh, wounded children. An eight-year-old boy was wounded in a double shooting Sunday afternoon after a fight broke out in the street. On Saturday, a seven-year-old girl and a 27-year-old woman were wounded um, on North 67th Street. The woman was arguing with someone when a gun was fired. All right. Now, the mayor, who clearly does not know what to do, and I, I... I sympathize. I'm critical of Tom Barrett about a lot of things like the streetcar and stuff. He he just clearly does not know what to do. I mean, we have these weekends with alarming regularity, and the mayor comes out, and he denounces it, you know, far too much. He's talking about this task force that they have meeting, and they're going to have this big comprehensive crime proposal that's out there. And, of course, the question becomes, where have you been for the last 10 or 15 years? I mean, this has been going on on a regular basis. One of the points that the mayor made, though, which really struck me, is he said many of the people that were involved in these various shootings had a criminal record. Gee, what a surprise that somebody decides to pull out a gun and shoot somebody else and and they've got a criminal record. I mean, most people... Most people do not resolve altercations that way, and so you would expect that it's people who have a criminal record. Several of the shootings involve people buying or selling drugs or felons with guns, Barrett said. The majority are not random acts of violence. And so what the mayor is trying to communicate, I think, is that don't worry about coming to Milwaukee because it's not a random act of violence. It's going to be, if you're involved in a drug deal, um, then then it's going to be a problem. You might end up getting shot. But don't worry. It's not like random people who are being targeted, to which I would say tell that to the woman who had her car jacked when she was filling up at the BP gas station on Plankinton the other day, and she gets out of her car to take the gas hose out of it, and in the space of five seconds, a stolen car pulls up and somebody else jumps in and tries to drive away. But I, I don't doubt the numbers to an extent. 
There is no question in my mind that the vast majority of the out-of-control crime in the city of Milwaukee is being committed by a relatively small number of people who once again have been through the criminal justice system over and over and over again. Felons who are not legally entitled to carry guns, carrying guns. People with lengthy criminal records walking around with firearms deciding that they are going to resolve whatever stupid little dispute there is by by pulling out a gun and, and shooting someone. Again, people with the impulse control of firearms, which raises the larger question when it comes to crime control. And it's a question that, unfortunately, our elected officials are still unwilling to confront, which is for the criminal element in the city, if it is true, if it is true that the majority of people responsible for these shootings and these homicides are, in fact, people with criminal records or felons with guns, the question becomes, what were they doing on the street in the first place? Why is it that they weren't taken off the street? Why isn't it that they were not given lengthy prison sentences? Why is it that we are so unwilling? Why is it that we're so unwilling to lock up the juvenile who's got his fingerprints on 23 stolen cars? Why is it that we are so reluctant when we catch the guy who is the felon who's in possession of a firearm? Why is it that we are unwilling to send him or her to prison for five or ten years? Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I understand you're going to have this crime commission coming out with this latest report that will get filed under some paper under a paperweight at some point in time. But here's the truth, and it's an uncomfortable truth that people don't want to deal with, especially politicians in Milwaukee. Unless and until you start locking up criminals and putting them in prison for lengthy periods of time, you are going to have headlines like four killed, 14 wounded in Milwaukee over Memorial Day weekend. But my guess is the politicians don't have, don't have the stones to be willing to make that commitment. And they don't have the stones to be willing to call out the judges when the judges don't impose sentences that are deserved. I mean, our, I understand that you can't imprison and incarcerate your way out of social problems. But when somebody makes a decision that they are going to commit crimes, if you're a felon with a gun, if you're somebody with a criminal record and you get caught carjacking somebody's car, why, oh, why, oh, why do we keep giving people second and third and fourth chances? To me, any sort of anti-crime plan starts with putting people in jail when they commit crimes or prison when they commit crimes for lengthy periods of time. And unless and until we do that, it's not going to get any better. Big thing number one, do we need to start, as part of any crime plan, do we need to start saying enough is enough if you're going to commit acts of violence, if you're going to commit crimes, we're tired of excuses, you go to jail, you get prosecuted, and you get put in jail for lengthy periods of time. It might not change your behavior, but it will protect the rest of us. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, does any criminal justice plan, any crime plan, start with putting more criminals in prison? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 842, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us on a bright Tuesday morning. Our classic free ride makes a pit stop down in Kenosha today. Join John McCure and WTMJ's Wisconsin's Afternoon Crew as they broadcast live from 3 to 6 at the Woodman's on 120th Avenue. John's been out doing these different free ride stuff. I actually, I, you know, he's he's kind of like our own peapod too because you'll say, John, can you pick me up some grass seed? Can you pick me up some, you know, Diet Coke and all? They got a steal, and he's good enough to do it. Register to win the incredible 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Chainsmokers perform at Summerfest next month. That is today from three to six at Woodman's on 120th Avenue in Kenosha. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride. It is sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tos and Summerfest. If you've been punched out over the news in the last couple days, another bloody weekend in Milwaukee. Four killed, 14 wounded in Milwaukee over Memorial Day. The majority of these came in connection with robberies or drug deals gone bad. The mayor who's got some sort of super-secret crime task force program that's coming out. It's going to be a comprehensive report that will, again, be something that gets put under somebody's paperweight, and, you know, five years from now we'll be having the same conversation. But, you know, he says, well, it's not random. These are not random acts of violence. And what the mayor is trying to do is convince people, you don't have to worry about coming down to Milwaukee. It's, you know, you're not going to be a crime victim. Most of the people are people who knew each other or were involved in criminal activities with each other or um, you've got a bunch of felons who get into an argument and they're all carrying guns against the law and they pull it out, guns out, and shoot each other, which is, of course, this random act, no random acts of violence is news to all the people who keep getting carjacked and having their cars stolen and things like that. But but let us assume that the mayor's premise is correct. Well, my question becomes, if that's true, that the majority of crimes and these criminal acts are being convicted, committed by felons with guns or people with criminal records. And by the way, I believe that that to be true, whether it's random or not. Why are these people out on the streets in the first place? Wouldn't you like to see Tom Barrett and some people on the Common Council using their bully pulpit to say, all right, look what's happened. Look at the person who's been involved in this particular shooting. Look at his criminal record. Why in God's green earth was he out on the street? And then maybe naming names. Why did Circuit Judge blank put this guy out on the street? Why did John Chisholm's district attorney's office plea bargain this case down from whatever to to whatever that resulted in this person still being on the street? Now, I am a big believer in mandatory minimum penalties. I come from a federal system where... For example, you commit a crime with a firearm, you go to prison for an automatic five years for using that firearm. And that is non-parolable. It is on top of whatever other penalty you get for the underlying crime. So you do a dope deal. All right, you go to jail for whatever the penalty is for the dope deal. You carry a gun to that dope deal. Boom, you get an extra five years on top of it. That, to me, is the way to go. I think you need to start taking a lot of these decisions and this discretion out of the hands of judges who bend over backwards to try to figure out ways to put people who shouldn't be on the street back out on the street. Mandatory minimums aren't always a guarantee that you're going to solve the problem because if you've got a DA's office that's squishy about charging cases, well, let's not charge this in a way to kick in the mandatory minimum. You can get around it. But the bottom line is, if the mayor is right... And most of these crimes are not random acts of violence, but instead are being committed by this narrow band of criminals. 
Why are these people still out on the street? And any comprehensive crime program which doesn't address that and doesn't hold the court system accountable and doesn't hold the DA's office accountable for these decisions that continue to put people back out on the street in order to shoot each other, steal people's cars, rob innocent citizens, steal cars that are in people's driveways or whatever, until you start dealing with that, and it starts with juveniles, we are never, ever going to solve this problem. And the truth of the matter is, it is a uniquely, I think, largely Milwaukee problem. You don't hear, you don't hear a lot of these stories coming out of Washington County or Ozaki County or Waukesha County. The only time you hear these stories typically, it's when people from Milwaukee decide that they're going to go out to the suburbs and commit crimes, which is happening more and more as the people look for what they consider to be easier targets of opportunity. So this is, in fact, it is a regional problem, but it is a problem that starts in one area. And Maybe it means the state legislature has to get more serious about this with tougher penalties. But the truth of the matter is, while these might not be random acts of crime, you know, you take your life into your own hands when you come into certain areas of the city. And this is, I think it's got to be priority number one. And what happened over the weekend is a classic example of what a lousy job Milwaukee is doing as far as controlling crime. It's 852. This is Jeff Wagner. Big thing number two is coming up. An outrage at the Indy 500 involving a reporter. The story might be a little bit more complicated. I'll explain. Stick around. It's 852. It's 854. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two. Reporter at the Denver Post fired, forced out after the Indy 500 and a tweet he sent out. Um, For those of you who didn't watch on Sunday, the Indy 500 was won by a a Japanese driver, Takuma Sato. I believe Sato is how you pronounce his last name. First Japanese driver to win the, the Indy 500. There's a guy, his name is Terry Fry. He's a sports reporter, been at the Denver Post forever. He sends out a tweet after the race saying, nothing specifically personal, but I am very uncomfortable with a Japanese driver winning the Indianapolis 500 during Memorial Day weekend. And there is outrage uh, about this. Outrage. Oh, my gosh. You know, xenophobic. How dare you, you know, single this out? This is terrible. Um he he backs off. He deletes the tweet. But by then it's out there. And, you know, it's like a bell being rung. You, you can't unring it. And he's he's fired or forced out or whatever. Uh, the Denver Post publisher and the editor issue a statement yesterday saying he's no longer an employee of the newspaper. They apologize for the disrespectful and unacceptable tweet sent by one of our reporters. Um, He is no longer an employee of the Denver Post. It's our policy not to comment further on personal issues. The tweet doesn't represent what we believe nor what we stand for. You hope we will accept our profound apologies. So he's he's history for this. He issues a lengthier apology. Let me let me share with you what he says. He says on on Sunday. This is what he writes. On Sunday, I was going down to Fort Logan National Cemetery to place flowers on the grave of and to salute my father, Jerry Fry, who spent the four-year gap between his sophomore and junior seasons at Wisconsin flying the F-5 unarmed version of the one-man P-38 flighter plane in the 26th photo squadron. 
and I did make that visit. He flew alone or with a partner in a second plane over Japanese targets in advance of the bombing runs. When Blake Olson of Channel 9 asked him about being unarmed, he laughed and said, I had a pistol. He flew 67 missions, crossing the 300 combat hours threshold and earned the World War II Air Medal three times. I have written much other material about American athletes in World War II. I researched and I wrote quite graphically about the deaths of my father's teammates, Dave Schreiner and Bob Bauman, in the Battle of Okinawa. I have a picture wallet containing photos of his family and girlfriend that Schreiner was carrying when he was killed. This is part of my perspective. I am sorry. I made a mistake, and I understand 72 years have passed since the end of World War II, and I do regret people with whom I'm probably very closely aligned with politically and philosophically have been so offended. To those people, I apologize. In fact, the assumptions about my political leanings have been quite inaccurate. I think he's saying he's a liberal, not a conservative. I apologize to the driver. I made a stupid reference during an emotional weekend to one of the nations that we fought in World War II, and in this case, the specific one my father fought against. Again, I'll try to say I'm sorry. I know better. I'm angry at myself because there was no constructive purpose in saying it, and I should have not said it, especially because the Denver Post had been dragged into this. So he, what he's saying is, hey, my dad fought in World War II. My dad fought against... Japan. Friends of my father's were killed in World War II. And I think he's kind of saying, I I still haven't quite gotten over this. Right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you accept this guy's apology? Should the Denver Post have accepted the apology? Do you understand where he was coming from? Is this more than just sort of this xenophobic comment Or is there something to it? And I say that because over the course of my life, I met people who fought in World War II. And I met a couple people who fought against Japan and were actually Marines on some of these various islands. And I'll tell you, to the day they died, they would not purchase Japanese cars, whatever Japanese. they, They just they would. They could not get over it. Should this man's apology have been accepted? Should he have lost his job? I'll tell you how I think this should have been handled, and we will discuss when we come back. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does the guy's comments about this and his explanation give us some perspective? He still hasn't gotten over World War II. It's 859. We discuss after the news. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 908. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right. This story is a little more complicated than you might think. Um, Indianapolis 500 on Sunday was won by the the first Japanese driver um, in in its history. His name is Takuma Sato. All right. After the win, a reporter who covers auto racing for the Denver Post sends out this tweet. His name is Terry Fry. Nothing specifically personal, but I'm very uncomfortable with a Japanese driver winning the Indianapolis 500 during Memorial Day weekend. All right. Everybody is outraged. Everybody is outraged. He is fired or forced to resign. Denver Post, the publisher and the editor, go into crisis mode. They issue this statement saying, hey, we, we apologize. This is terrible. He's not with us anymore. He, he's gone. Long-term employee. He writes a lengthier explanation after this saying, hey, look, I, I'm sorry, but here's the deal. This was Memorial Day weekend. And I, I was actually, I was visiting my father's gravesite. My father was in World War II. My father flew 67 missions over Japan. My I carry with me 
photographs of close friends of my father who died in World War II. I, and he writes, I understand that 72 years have passed since the end of World War II, and I'm sorry that some people are offended, and maybe I should let it go, and I'm sorry I didn't. But, but that's, that's, that's his explanation, at least for where he's coming from. When I saw this, I was thinking, I, I, I have been privileged in my life to meet several people from the greatest generation, including some people who became, over the years, pretty good friends of mine who fought in World War II, both in the European theater and in the Pacific theater. And I will always, I will vividly remember a conversation with one of these people who became a good friend of mine who had fought in the Pacific theater, actually two. And the context came up that I said I was buying a particular type of car. And it was a Japanese car. I was going to buy a Honda. This is years and years ago. And they they just, they kind of looked at me and they said, "We, we we would never buy a Japanese, a quote-unquote Japanese car. Now, what that means nowadays in 2017, I, I don't know. But that you, you understand this. They, they said, no. I mean, we, we, they said, we can't get over it. We saw people fight and die in connection with the war against Japan. We, that's how they felt. And, you know, you could argue whether, in this case, it wasn't 72 years ago. You could argue about whether, like, 45 years ago, uh, 45 years after the fact that this was in the 80s, they should let it go. They should, you could argue, but that's how they felt. That's how they felt. They fought against Japan. They saw their friends die next to them, and they couldn't get over it. And they just, so they couldn't see, even if it was the greatest car in the world, they couldn't see supporting a quote-unquote car made in Japan. All right. Now, I'm not arguing that that's right or wrong, but it's an explanation. So I guess my question is, do you understand where this guy is coming from? And in context... While he probably shouldn't have sent out the tweet, should it have cost him his job? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Matt in Lake Geneva. Matt, you're first. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, first of all, i got no problem with what he said, and he shouldn't have to explain himself. You know that I'm a vet, I'm well, retired, retired military, and um, being as, you know, my partial heritage is... Uh, part of the island chain that's owned by Japan. And I'm telling you, some of my relatives, they still hate Japan. Mm-hmm. For, to this day, you know, and here they are, they're considered Japanese. They don't consider themselves Japanese. Right. He shouldn't have to explain himself. And that just proves that you and others talk about that liberal mindset, one voice, mm-hmm. one road. It's not true. Everybody's human. They should have their own opinions and not be demolished by it. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. I, I will share with you what I think, but I really, this is one where I want to, I want to hear from you because I, I wanted to give this story some context because you, you hear this and you say, okay, this is the tweet. Oh, what, what an incredible racist this guy is. And, and of course, how can they employ this racist? Well, it turns out, I think he's politically extremely liberal, but, you know, he's thinking of his father and he's still Obviously, he still obviously has issues. I suspect his dad probably had issues. Um, but I'm, I, I was kind of thinking about this again in, in context. I mean, if you, if your father, if you lost a father, you know, or your grandfather, you know, in, in World War II, battling against the Germans or, or battling, you know, uh, against the Japanese, if somebody close to you was killed, all right. Um, might you think the same way? Now, whether he should have said it in a tweet or not is, is something different. But given th- does the context matter at all? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Patty in Allenton. Patty, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my sure, call. Sure, thanks for calling. 
excuse me, my father also was in World War II. He was a Marine, Battle of Peleliu, extraordinarily proud. We were brought up with immense respect for God and country. Um, I understand where this man was coming from, especially with this weekend. Right. However, um, I heard you reference Germany. No, I'm not saying let it go, like forget about what happened, by no means. But we can't carry generation after generation. We can't carry it. I get where he's coming from, but I could never say, oh, I, I don't like the Japanese or the Germans. Or, mm-hmm. Come on. that That's just not right. How do you think your um, father would have felt? I, 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 I understand the point you're making about, but let, yeah. let's let, let's think about your dad. You know, oh, would my, you... <laughs> my dad. Yeah, yeah. He never verbally um, said anything like outright, but we felt it right. um, in by American. Right. Um, you know, and at, back in like say the '60s when I was younger, everything was you know made in Japan. Right. Uh, not so much in our house. Right, um, and and I'm just I'm just being honest because yeah. you're asking for an honest answer, yeah. and and I get where my father was coming from because, like this other like this gentleman, he fought hand in hand with these people, watching his friends die as well. That's a hard thing to forget, and and should we forget it? Um, we shouldn't forget our battles, but we can't hate everyone either. I don't think this man should have lost his job. Mm-hmm. But I also think you have to be careful what you say. Well, there, there, I mean, there's no, I mean, thanks, there, there's no question about it. And I mean, look, and that's why I find this to be such an interesting co- story because on, on the surface, you look at this and it sounds like an incredibly xenophobic or racist comment, and 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 it is, I guess, to some extent. But then you understand the background. And again, I once I started reading about this, I I was thinking about, I was thinking about people I have known over the years who who were not. Who were not racists? They they just they just weren't, but they just couldn't forgive and forget. And I'm thinking, okay, if I was in the Battle of Okinawa and I had a bunch of my you know buddies who lost their lives as a result of a war against Japan, I mean, it's easy to say forgive and forget. Now, I understand this is one generation removed, but I, I never thought of my friends as being racists or xenophobes. I just thought this was. This was part of their experience, and they just weren't able to do that. And you know, maybe I would have been able to, maybe I wouldn't have. Let's talk to. Uh, let's see, we've got Bob in West Dallas. Bob, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about this? Oh, geez, I think <laughs> I think at best it's a it's an overreach on the part of the newspaper, and at worst it's an overdose on political correctness. Mm-hmm. My father fought in World War Two. He was in the Hundred First Airborne at the bulge i'm a vietnam war veteran and the indy 500 is a piece of americana in the big picture you know it's on memorial day weekend i don't see a thing wrong with what he said Mm -hmm. um even if it might have offended a large group of people maybe the majority of his readers yeah, even if yes. Okay. All right. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate. It. I know that that's again. That I find this to be fascinating. Glenn in Muskegon. Glenn, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I'm a firm believer in free speech. I think people have a right to say. So I'm not really sure if he should have been fired by, for what he said. But personally, I think what he said definitely was racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, this happened years ago. I mean, this race car driver. He had nothing to do with right. any of that. Yeah, I've never fought in any wars. I don't know the hurt. Uh, that might have been happened from one country right. to the next, but 
Well, one thing, uh, when you have a war, it's actually a war between governments. You know, they're just doing what their right. uh, president tells them what to do. Right. So, you, so in, in, I, I don't want to be flip about it, but your response, your general thought would be he should get over it. Right. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. All right. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. There are – slavery ended in this country, what, o- over 150 years ago. There are some people who haven't gotten over slavery and its effects yet. Would you say the same thing to them? I would say the same thing to them, yeah. Okay. All right. Good enough. Thanks for calling. I just, I just ask, can I uh, – Mark in New Berlin. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I definitely think that we have to stop. You know, ever since Donald Trump got in, anybody can say whatever they want with no repercussions. Donald Trump on Memorial Day, I see him pushing the re. Okay, but we're not talking about Donald Trump. We're talking about this reporter. Okay, I think he should be fired. You can't just say stuff like that. My father fought in World War II also, and I I I went to Carl Rosh's probably weekly in a, you know, German restaurant. I mean, are they bad people there, or... Well, no, but I mean, okay, okay, so if you have World War II vets who, or or, let's say, if you have Vietnam veterans, say, who can't, who who saw their their friends die in combat, you know, next to them, and they still harbor bad feelings about, you know, the Vietnam government, um, is that, that, are they wrong in, in harboring those feelings? They're not wrong, but they can't express them. You can't go around and see a Vietnamese person and punch him in the face. Well, no, right, I mean, but he didn't you punch. Call him a loser. You know, you can't. You know, you know. I well, mean, I mean, I, he didn't. I mean, thanks, for, I mean, Mark. He, he, I mean, he, he didn't punch him in the face. He, he was just expressing this. All right, here, here, here's how I look at this. Um, I think context is important. Um, I understand where the guy's coming from, and I'm not prepared to label him a, a racist. Here, here is the problem. The problem is when you do something like this and you are – whether whether it's me who's a de- – look, look here, here's the reality. If I send out some tweet, it's going to be Jeff Wagner from WTMJ. That, that's, that's it. When you are a public figure, you, you don't just represent yourself. You represent your, your company. And in this case – he sends this thing out, and the top line is going to be, you know, racist sports writer. I'm not necessarily convinced he's racist, and I understand where the guy is coming from. But at the same time, you know, there, there are consequences from free speech. And uh, obviously the Denver Post got a bunch of heat, and they decided that they didn't want to, you know, stand in the kitchen and take the heat. So the easier choice was just to get rid of the guy. I understand where they did that. Context, though... I also understand where he's coming from. He probably should not have expressed it in a tweet. How often do we say this? But I'm not convinced that the guy is a, this, this evil racist. I understand the context of this. Denver Post just decided they, they didn't want to stand by him, and they didn't want to explain it. And I guess that's their choice as well. It's 920. When we come back, big thing number three. Did you see the t- latest with Tiger Woods? Stick around. <laughs> It's 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, with President Trump's son-in-law now reportedly under FBI scrutiny in the Russia probe. How will this impact the administration as it returns from its first foreign trip? Scafidi and Billstead have the latest from the White House, 1235 today. Big story number three. Yesterday, 
Monday morning, Memorial Day, Tiger Woods arrested at 3 a.m. in Jupiter, Florida. That's where he lives on suspicion of driving under the influence. Uh, the, the story is apparently his car was weaving all over. He gets pulled over. I am told that the encounter with the police have been, has been, was, was taped. They had a dashboard camera. And the reports are that Woods does not come across very well in this, that they describe him as not cooperative and extremely arrogant. Now, I don't know. They haven't released that yet, but, but they, they will. Um, what they have released is Tiger Woods' mugshot. Now, let me just say this. Generally speaking, when you're having your mugshot taken, they never look good because they're not catching somebody at their best. You know, the, the Tiger Woods mugshot, if you haven't seen it, you just look at it and you think, oh, my goodness. You, know, you think about the images of Tiger Woods like 20 years ago and, and what he looks like now. Now, he's obviously under the influence of something. Woods' story is he was out at 3 o'clock in the morning. He was not drinking. Now, we'll know the answer to this because they're gonna, they'll, they'll do a blood alcohol test. I assume they did. Um, he says it was prescription painkillers that he was taking because he's, his back is messed up and he had back surgery. And his story is that um, his... Um, it was a he mixed these prescription painkillers and that's what caused the, the reaction now now they don't know you know where he was coming from or where he was going to or why he was out at three o'clock in the morning um, when they saw him weaving and things like that he says he hadn't been drinking he says it was just I just I, I took these prescription painkillers and it was a mistake. Um, don't know how that is all going to play out. And again, once they release the dashboard camera, at least some of the reports say it's not going to paint Tiger in the most favorable light. Um, I guess I had a couple comments on this, and I know that everybody's talking about it. Story number one, first of all, I do not understand why Tiger Woods is driving his own car. It's three. I mean, here you have a guy that has more money than God. All right, if you want to be out, and I don't know if he's coming from a party, going to a party, whatever, <laughs> You can afford a driver, for goodness sakes. I mean, and, and again, if you if you want to go out and you want to take prescription drugs or if you want to drink or whatever, I've, nev- I've just never understood why these rich athletes get – to me, that is arrogance, that you get behind the wheel of a car, whether it's alcohol or pills or whatever. You have enough money to have a driver. I don't have enough money to afford somebody to drive. But in the, again, in that case, you know, one word, Uber. I mean, why you get behind the wheel of a car, you know, in these circumstances, just beyond me. Secondly – I think it is too soon to tell whether this this really has a huge impact or not. Tiger Woods still earns tens of millions of dollars in endorsements, despite the fact that you know his golfing career may or may not be over because of injuries. And it's, his, his, it seems like his life has been kind of on a spiral since you know all the stories came out about how he was cheating on his wife and doing all these things back in 2010 and it seems like it's been on a spiral now there's a lot of speculation that that this latest thing especially if it turns out that there was alcohol involved and it wasn't just a mix of prescription drugs but what's he doing out at three o'clock in the morning you know high on drugs regardless even if that's his story there is speculation that this might finally be the last straw that causes some of the big sponsors to bail on him i don't know whether that's going to be the case or not that's i will tell you i think one of the telling things is going to be that dash cam video if he's contrite 
if it appears that he's just a little screwed up, he might be able to survive this. If it appears he's copying an attitude, I'm Tiger Woods, what are you doing, don't you know who I am? I think this might finally be what kills the golden calf, and we'll see that, and we're going to follow it as well. But they expect that the surveillance cameras uh, might be, that film might be released as early as today. But uh, I think Tiger Woods' endorsement career hangs on a much slimmer thread than it did even 48 hours ago. But again, my overriding question is, what are you doing? What are you doing out in the road behind the wheel of a car anyways at 3 o'clock in the morning if you're Tiger Woods? It's 928. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price this week. Our featured supper club is the Main Mill in wonderful Menominee Falls. Featuring homemade barbecue, tasty steaks, and a variety of signature dishes, you can enjoy them all on the Main Mill's Elevated Deck Dining Experience this Friday at noon. See, last week we did it at 1 o'clock, but this Friday we're doing it at noon. You can get a $50 certificate for only 25 bucks. It's like stealing. You're going to go there to eat anyways. Why not? These will go quickly. We only have 100 available. Get yours this Friday starting at noon. Right as my show winds down, you head to WTMJSupperClub.com. You can get to it through our main menu as well. All right. I just, I can't tolerate rudeness. I just, and as I get older, I admit I have less patience for for rudeness. These various, you know, stage demonstrations where people turn their backs, where you had the graduation at Notre Dame, where, you know, 100 people decide to get up and walk out on the vice president who's invited, or the thing down at the school in Florida a couple of weeks ago where you have a bunch of these students decide to turn their backs on the secretary of education. I just, to me, that's just, it's just rude. It's not about, I guess, whether you have a right to do something or not. It's just whether it's the right thing to do. Well, you had another example of that, but we're not talking about college graduates. Um, Middle school, actually an eighth grade class um, from South Orange Middle School in New Jersey. Now, this is a couple hundred kids who are, these are eighth graders, so... I mean, what are we talking about with eighth graders, Hondo? Like 12, 13 years old? Yeah, you know, you know, that, you know, 12, 13 years old, maybe 13 or 14, whatever. But, the, but these are eighth graders. They're on a class trip to Washington, D.C. And what happens is that they have, they arranged an opportunity, um, for a, a chance to meet our very own Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. So what, on this on this field trip, um, you know, so they go to the Capitol and they have an opportunity to meet Paul Ryan, and so what they do is they say, "Hey, can you know we, you know, let's let's pose, you know, Speaker Ryan, we pose for a picture, you know, with this the class, you know, got it with the the whole people on the field trip, you know, this will be a cool memento, whatever." Um, well, here's the story: about half of the eighth graders, and these are eighth graders, according to the story refused to pose for a photo with House Speaker Paul Ryan last last Friday. Apparently, half opted out. And so, as some of the class smiles for the camera, the other half decamps for a parking lot across the street. So, this now becomes a story. So, then they start talking to these, these eighth graders. 
I can't take a picture with someone who supports a budget that would destroy public education and would leave 23 million people without health care, says a student to the local newspaper. Um, another says, I think that taking a picture represents that you agree with the same political views, and I don't agree with his political views, so I choose not to be in it, says another eighth grader. Um, and it goes on and on and on. Now, again, they had the photo op, and they took the picture, and it looks great, and half the kids aren't in it. But you had a number of these kids who just decided um, they're not going to do it. And so then the local newspaper out there goes out and interviews a couple of the, the parents, and the parents are, oh, I support my son. I support my daughter. This, this is, you know, even though Paul Ryan isn't Donald Trump, I hate Donald Trump, and I can't imagine that I can't, you know, I I completely support this. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, these are eighth graders who are apparently refusing to have their photograph taken with the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Is this a legitimate decision by the 8th graders, or is there something else, do you think there's something else going on here? Um, Is is this moms and dads? Is this maybe some of the teachers? Or is this 8th graders who are deciding, hey, I'm 12 or 13 years old, I I just, I can't support, I can't support Paul Ryan because I I think this new plan is going to leave 23 million people uninsured by choice. 414-799-1620. Should the kids have been told, sit, take the picture, was this rude or was this, well, a legitimate exercise in understanding political commentary? 414-799-1620. What do you think? I will tell you where I come down on this in just a couple minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. Eighth grade class snubs Paul Ryan. This becomes a national story, at least portion of the eighth grade class. What was really going on here? Was this rude? And should everybody have just posed for the photo? It's 940. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 944. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, here's what the school principal um, does. School principal um, yesterday issues a... Superintendent Schools issues a statement about this, and it says, while we should all respectfully and appropriately acknowledge those in authority taking a conscientious position about a photo op, this would be the students who decided they didn't want to have their picture taken with House Speaker Paul Ryan, um, we should all be respectfully and appropriately acknowledge those in authority taking a conscientious position about a photo op is within our constitutional right. We are proud of all our students who exercise their rights and chose whether or not to participate for their own individual reasons. I call BS on this statement. And here's why. If this had been Barack Obama and you had a hundred kids who decided for whatever reasons that they did not want to pose for a picture with Barack Obama on their class trip, this story would have been what racist, appalling, terrible kids these are. How dare they disrespect the President of the United States? What's going on? That would be the story. And I guarantee you, the school would not have issued a statement like this. But because it's Paul Ryan and because it's conservatives, well, then we get to consciously, conscientiously object to these different types of things. Do they have a constitutional right to do it? Yeah, I guess they do. But come on, really? All right, kids, this is a class picture. This is the Speaker of the House. Take the damn picture. And again, I, I say reverse this situation. Imagine the outrage They would never have issued a statement like this applauding the students exercising their constitutional rights if a hundred of them decided they didn't want their picture taken with the former president. Chris in Chicago. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good. Um, hey, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I definitely agree. It's, it's disrespectful, number one. It was an opportunity for these kids to meet, you know, the Speaker of the House. I mean, that's right. a big deal. And, uh, I mean, I remember when I was in eighth grade, we had a chance to, to go into the White House and meet President Reagan. Didn't happen just for scheduling things, but regardless of whether you're, you know, a Republican, Democrat, whatever, it's a, it's a great opportunity. And I think the bigger issue is, is like, how is it possible that eighth graders are now getting involved in political matters? Let, let them be kids. Like, who's feeding the system? That's my big concern. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously it's either coming in the class. Now, look, I understand that there's some political junkies. There's some kids that are very, very tuned in. Um, 50% of the eighth grade class, I, I don't think so. So this is obviously, yeah. it's the teachers or it's it's mom and dad or whatever. But yeah, the, the bigger picture is, right, you're on a class field trip. This is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. I mean, and it's your yeah. chance to pose. And you've got eighth graders that are running the asylum saying, no, we don't want to be with it because the plan's going to leave 23 million uh, people uninsured. I mean, give me a break. Who's giving that to these kids? Exactly. Yep. Eighth graders shouldn't have to worry about that. No, thanks for call. And again, it, again, it, to me, it, it's just what, what I find offensive about this is the double standard. You know darn well, again, if this was the president, if this was Eric Holder, if this was Joe Biden, you know darn well that the teachers wouldn't have let 100 kids head for the parking lot. They wouldn't have allowed that, and you know darn well, at least I believe, that the superintendent of schools wouldn't have come out the two days after this happened with this glowing thing saying, we support the kids. It would have been apologizing. We're going to, you know that there would have been all sorts of meetings on sensitivity and things like that, telling people, oh my gosh, how, how could you have dissed Barack Obama? But because it's Paul Ryan, we applaud this. Um, let's talk to Andy in Wauwatosa. Andy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? What happened here, and, you know, was it disrespectful? Well, I kind of have two ideas about this, and I I disagree with you a little bit on one thing. Um, first of all, I think that uh, eighth graders and kids in general have an access to a lot more information, a lot easier at their mm-hmm. fingertips, and so I think it's only natural that they're going to be a little bit more quickly involved than normal, mm-hmm. or at least in when we were growing up. Sure. That's one thing. Um and I guess as far as I'm um, bringing um, Obama into it, um, I, I, you know, I do remember schools in the area not wanting to show his inauguration on TV. And I remember a conversation on this, on this station about whether, kind, kind of saying, well, that's okay. It's, it's their choice not to, not to show an inauguration, even though that's customarily done. So, I mean, it's a little scary to have kids that young politically engaged, but I think that in the long run for our society, it's a really good thing to have kids at about that age when they're 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 transitioning into adulthood. I think it's okay to be politically aware, even if you know we disagree or with some of the choices that they're making at this time. Well, I guess I mean, well, but run. here's the thing: I, I'm, I, it's one thing. Okay, it's one thing to be politically engaged and politically aware. It's another thing to be a rude, to be rude and petulant and behave in a childish fashion because, and it's perhaps not surprising because they're children. That's why you would think the grown-ups would end up coming in into the picture. I mean, I have. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I've had the opportunity. Oh, I've been fortunate in my life. I've had the opportunity to meet various presidents, including some I supported and some that I, I didn't support. But I always thought that was just this great opportunity because it's all about the office. And at least to me, the message should have been, all right, you know, there, this is this is the, the man who is, you know, number three in line for the presidency. I mean, two heartbeats away. This is the office. You respect 
the office. And by deciding, oh, here, we're going to be kids and we're going to make our statement and we're going to go off to the parking lot, you disrespect the office. You don't have to agree with the man, but you disrespect the office. And I, again, I just refuse to believe that if this had been done in a different context with a liberal politician, I refuse to believe that the response would have been the same. Dave and Rippon. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Say, Jeff, um, I agree with your point of view completely, but I wanted wanted you to know um, our grandson is in that photo. Really? Very cool. Yeah, and he he was close enough to to, uh, touch... Paul Ryan and and our grandson posted this photo on Instagram, and we were really delighted when yeah. we saw it. Um, and we didn't know this part of the story at all because he didn't mention sure. that at all. And and so, I I think one thing uh, you can take away from it is just be just be glad if if in fact fifty percent or yeah. more of the students did pose. I think that's great knowing the political bent of the neighborhood that they're in. Um, Oh, oh, so, okay, so this is a very liberal enclave. Uh, Is that what you're telling me? Absolutely. Well, look at the, look at the maps. Okay. uh, Of New Jersey and, and in, in our, in their own household, they get the New York Times delivered to their door every day. So, I mean, this child is, is exposed to that and yet he chose to, the pose with a big smile on his face, and I said, "Right there," and we we just felt tickled because sure. of so that. There, so, so, Dave, your your sense is a lot of these kids are getting this at home. <laughs> oh, you're going oh, yeah, to Washington D.C. You're going. Oh, that's awful. That Donald Trump is awful. Oh, that Paul Ryan is awful. Uh, that, that you think it's coming from the home front? Right, right. And I think I think um, in in, uh, in his home it might be a liberal home, and yet he chose to uh, to pose and do the right thing. And I we're just proud of him and and. Right. Go very good. That, 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 that half, if half the kids pose, then, sure. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks for calling. Uh, this is again, what a small world. Okay, here we are doing a radio talk show in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Dave, who lives in Ripon, calls. This is a trip to to, to Washington D.C. from a, a group of kids from South Orange, New Jersey. And it turns out to be one of Dave's grandson, Dave's grandson, in there. Yeah, and and right. And by the way, the, the kids who left didn't ruin the photo op because what they did is they just. You know, there's still 100 people that were in it, and they moved around, and so you, you got the good picture. I'm just saying I think it's rude, I think it's disrespectful, and I don't believe the school would have tolerated it if it was a different politician. Um, again, Barack Obama, Eric Holder, Joe Biden, you name it. It's 9.53. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.55, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ is an Austin, Texas movie theater guilty of sexism for holding women-only screenings of the new Wonder Woman film. Weigh in during Scafidi and Billstat at 2.07 here on WTMJ. Huh. I didn't, uh, Ando, you didn't see Pirates over the weekend, did you either? No, no, you, you, you just, you just, see, you just smirked my, my producer, Hondo, today and always. You, you just smirk. You wouldn't, uh, Pirates isn't on your wavelength, huh? Not going near, I actually, I, I want to see it. And um, actually, the a couple, the, the woman I'm dating, a couple of her sisters were going to like a seven o'clock show last night, and they invited us. But we had a really long weekend and things. And um, the truth is, if I had, if the scheduling didn't work out, but if I had tried to go to that seven o'clock movie uh, by the 
I would have been asleep at 7.15. Even if it was the greatest movie in the world, I would have been sleeping through the entire thing. All, so I have no positions. The critics are, like, savaging the thing. Don't, don't know, but um, I was tired by last night. I was just I, a lot of fresh air, a lot of outdoor activities. I, I'll, I'll catch pirates. There's a couple other things I want to see as well, but um, I did not see pirates. All right, I wanted to mention this. Um, over the weekend, Greg Allman. Um, of course, one of the founding members of the Allman Brothers Band passed away at the age of, of 69. I I saw I saw Greg Allman in his in his heyday, you know, like in the early 70s, and I saw him again two years ago. He was playing at Potawatomi, and um, it, it was I mean he was a I, I would say this you know he had huge health problems at the time. I think it was like March of 2015 when he was doing the show. Had huge health problems, but you know he he did two nights back to back. I saw one of the shows. My my brother in law, huge Almond Brothers fan, so Dave and I went, and he he was still he was still working hard. I mean, he was still. It was a, it was a very very good show, but you could tell that you know he had his health issues, and of course they had only gotten worse. But I mean, Greg Allman, just you know, if if you were into Southern rock. You know, in the 60s and the early 70s, um, I mean, the Allman Brothers band band was was it. I mean, it was just absolutely it. And they, they always performed incredible shows. And, uh, you know, Greg Allman passed away over the weekend at the age of 69. I was thinking about how many shows I've seen at Potawatomi where the performers have then passed away. Levon Helm, who was a drummer in the band, um, he in in the band, you know, what they, they that's what they call themselves. Um, you know, I saw a show at Levon Helm at Potawatomi and... Just like two months later, he passed away. So um, Greg Allman dead. But it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, again, it's a huge loss. He was 69 years old and, again, in, in ill health. And my guess is for a lot of these guys and gals, you know, rock and roll, you know, heavy rock and roll from the 60s and 70s, a lot of people didn't make it out of the 60s and 70s. And my guess is that lifestyle was, was kind of hard on your body and things like that. And I think it's kind of taking its toll as more and more of the great rockers from the 60s and 70s pass away. But um, in this case, Greg Allman passed away over the weekend, um, just a mainstay in Southern Rock and uh, uh, sail on, sail on. All right. When we come back. All right. A Republican is saying that Trump's presidency is mostly a complete disaster. What do you think? We'll discuss. It's 959, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner. All right. Let's stir things up. This is another one of those topics that I guarantee will generally probably displease everybody, but that's all right. Um, For years and years, I was one of the voices in the media that fought for some form of concealed carry legislation in Wisconsin. I thought it was absurd that we did not have a system which could allow law-abiding citizens to carry concealed firearms with appropriate limitations. And we were, what, at the time this debate was going on, we ended up, 48 states had some form of legislation allowing this. Us in Illinois were the, the only two. Now, as the legislation got closer and closer to being passed, our current laws, what happened was you had certain firearms rights advocates who then decided to become the fly in the ointment and argue, well, okay, we, we, we don't want concealed carry legislation. We want um, legislation that allows concealed carry without any sort of restrictions a- at all. You know, you should be able to carry a gun anywhere you want, hiding the gun on your person. And, and you shouldn't have to have a permit. You shouldn't need anything. Now, I argued at the time that that was, that was snatching 
victory, defeat from the jaws of victory for everybody who had fought so long and so hard. And I, I argued that the state legislature was behind the times with regard to public opinion on carrying firearms. Because I, I believe, and I continue to believe, that the vast majority of people you know, don't have an issue with a law-abiding citizen who goes through whatever training, and you can argue whether you need more training or not, but, you know, who, who goes through the, the process of getting the permit. I think the vast majority of, of people don't have a problem with that person being able to carry a firearm in a concealed fashion. The problem is people who don't have the permits, as a general rule, that are, are committing, you know, that are carrying guns. And so law-abiding citizens, I don't think, as a general rule, pose a, a problem. But but you do have those hoops that you have to jump through. All right. Now, having said that, there is a bill that's going to have hearings this week, um, Senate Bill 169, that has, by my count, um, 11 Republican sponsors – and a number of responsors in the state assembly. Here's what the bill would do. Essentially, it would do away with the requirement that you have to get a concealed carry permit. Um, This is the way the Legislative Reference Bureau writes this up. Current law generally prohibits an individual from carrying a concealed weapon unless the individual has a license to carry a concealed weapon that is issued by the Department of Justice or unless the individual has a law enforcement identification card indicating that he or she is a qualified current or former law enforcement officer. This bill eliminates the general prohibition against going armed with a concealed weapon without regard to licensure status. The bill also goes on to eliminate uh, current law prohibitions against carrying firearms in specified places. Um, so it, it, it would also, uh, again, um, broaden the different places that you could carry a, a firearm. But, but the big point is you would essentially not need to get a permit anymore. And that's one of the key aspects of, of this bill. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I understand that I'm going to get some heat from this position. But just like five or six years ago, I thought it was reasonable as a condition of allowing people to carry firearms in a concealed fashion to require at least some form of permitting procedure. I continue to believe that to be the case. I think the vast majority of people, like I say, don't have a problem with people being able to legally carry a concealed firearm if they get a permit. The idea, though, that people could carry guns legally without any, in a concealed fashion without any sort of permit, I don't think the general public is there, and I don't think, candidly, that it is a good idea. I mean, I think it's one thing to say, all right, we want to keep track of Who's going to have guns? We're going to want to make sure that there's at least some basic sort of training that goes along with that. I think that is a reasonable thing to ask if somebody's going to be able to carry a firearm in a concealed fashion. To me, it's kind of like saying, all right, you know, if you're going to get a license to drive a car, you know, you have to, in this case, you know, go through some safety stuff. You have to demonstrate some sort of proficiency. We don't make people demonstrate proficiency, but is it? Is it really a good idea to say no more permitting, no more registration process, anybody that wants to carry a gun in a concealed fashion, stick it in your waistband, 
pull your jacket over it, go with God. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that is bad public policy. I think that before you should be allowed to carry firearms in a concealed fashion, you should have to go through at least some training and some permitting. And I understand you might not agree with me, but I just think politically, I think this is, I, I think that this is very tone deaf to where the general public is. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we need to do away with our current concealed carry permitting process and just say, hey, you don't need a permit, carry a gun anywhere you want? Let's discuss. It's 1014, 414-799-1620 is the number. I think the Republicans are making a mistake pushing this bill. We discuss next. It's 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You know, I, I just, I think this is a bad idea, and I think it has political ramifications. In Wisconsin, for the last, what, five, six years, you, you've had a concealed carry law, which allows you, law-abiding citizen, goes through a background check, no criminal record, go through a, a very modest training course. You get a concealed carry permit. You can carry a firearm to certain locations um, concealed. There is a movement in the state legislature now. It has 11 Republican senators who've signed on to it, which would do away with those requirements. It would greatly eliminate the ability of places to exclude guns. But the biggest thing is it would eliminate the whole permitting process. It would say, hey, you don't need a permit. You don't need to pay the you don't need to pay for the permit. You don't need to have training. Hey, you want to stick a gun in your holster in you in in your, you know, uh, pants pocket or a holster. You want to conceal it. You can do that. I think that's a bad idea, and I don't think the public is with this. Let's talk to Alan in Houstonsford. Alan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, yes, good morning. I agree with you. I think that it would be counterproductive. I'm all in favor of having the right to have a permit to conceal carry. I'm all in favor of uh, training so that the people who have them uh, know how to use them. And some basic idea as to when they can use them. You know, at least a, a cursory explanation of you, you can't just pull out your gun and shoot at somebody because, you know, they, they walked across your lawn. Just a, a basic discussion of, all right, this is when you can use deadly force and when you can't. I guess I don't think that's unreasonable. No, and uh, I would like to see them soften the areas where and the restrictions on where you can carry because uh, I feel that. It lets people know where they have soft targets, where they don't need to worry about any ramifications for any shenanigans that they want to pull. That, that I think, is a little overdone because if you're a law-abiding citizen and you have the permit, then why not be able to protect yourself or someone else? If they are uh, right in some of those public locations, yeah. And I guess that's I I have to really. I'll be honest with you. I have to think it through and really kind of study what locations they're talking about, you know, eliminating. Because I, I also think there is a private property right. And I think, for example, we this building, we have, it's a gun-free zone. So, I mean, I think employers, I think businesses should have a right to make this decision as well because they control the property. But that, that's a – I don't want to get too far afield. I want to concentrate on the aspect of this, which is to me the bigger one, which would do away with the permitting process to – begin with and i think you know from a perspective of you know concealed carry i think that it's a reasonable requirement to say a little bit of training matter of fact you know i 
when, and I've told this story before, you know, when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office for a couple of years, I, because of death threats, I carried a gun. And you actually had to qualify. I mean, I was like a special deputy U.S. Marshal. You had to go to a range and prove that you were proficient with using the, the firearm. We don't require proficiency training. And I will tell you that I'm not calling for it, but that does make me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm, I'm wondering how many people have signed up, gotten concealed carry permits, and really, you know, can't hit the broad side of a barn with a gun because the truth is you want to really talk up and we, we haven't seen we haven't seen stories of that so it tells me that that's not really an issue which is why I'm not calling for a change in the law for proficiency training but I mean I do wonder how many people go to the classes take the four-hour class and then really never learn how to shoot a gun because that's that's a bad thing as well but taking the class at least having a cursory conversation about when when you're allowed to do it legally, when you're not allowed to do it legally, I, I think I just guess think I think that's reasonable. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Steve and DePierre. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I'm a NRA member and I own a number of handguns. I also have a concealed carry permit for the state of Wisconsin. Right. But I cannot believe that they're gonna pass a bill that's gonna allow people to own handguns without some training. And I think it's more than just whether or not you can hit a target. I've been in various stores like Cabela's and that, and people buy guns, and the way they handle a handgun just yeah. scares the heck out of me. Yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, think it could be trained. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, I don't. know. So you, you, you said you had a concealed carry permit yourself. Yeah. Okay. I mean, was it five years? Was it that? Was it that onerous? Was it that awful a process to go through to have to get the permit? Oh, no. Actually, in fact, um, with the way the regulations are in Wisconsin, they're pretty lenient. I was actually able to use the training that I had back when I got my concealed carry permit in Connecticut about 10 years ago to get it. Right. That required fingerprinting, background checks, right. um, pre-references. So Wisconsin, I mean, their stuff is, is really simple as it goes. So Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, it, it's not like... and I. To, to me, I wonder whether this whole thing is what I would call, you know, a solution looking for a problem. I, I, I hear from from people about a lot of different issues and a lot of stuff that ticks them off. I don't hear a groundswell among concealed carry permit holders who are outraged that they had to go through this. I, I don't hear this thing that oh, it's just so terrible and we have these delays and we can't do it. That's always been my impression. In Wisconsin. It's it's relatively easy to do. I mean, you have to send in the money to get the permit. And you have to you know, like take the class. But it, it's not like we're, we're having tens of thousands of people who are being told they can't carry firearms because of these requirements. Well, no, and also, I mean, if you don't want to do the training, Wisconsin's an open carry state. You can carry a gun openly without training. So right, yeah. So it's the concealed right. It's, it's right. It, it's the difference between the concealed carry thing because. Again, just from a lot of perspectives, when, when you're carrying a, a gun that's hidden, that raises different issues than when you're carrying a gun openly. Now, open carry, again, is a whole different conversation as well. Let's talk to Adam and Burnett. Adam, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Long-time sure. listener. Um, um, I sell firearms. Um, I'm a huge, avid uh, Second Amendment guy. Right. Um, um, my biggest concern with this, no license, no fees, no nothing, is it's very unfair to law enforcement. Um, law enforcement can, when, say you're in a traffic stop, law enforcement can take your license. They can read your license that says mm-hmm. that, hey, you do have a concealed carry and you do have a firearm on you. Right. And I think that this, uh, doing away with the licensing, 
is going to open up law enforcement to a whole can of worms that that they're not going to know what they're walking into right. when they do a traffic stop. It's going to make them more uh, jumpy as into, sure. hey, i got to go into this. Everybody's got a gun. like, right. And they do already, but it's, it's, it's with, without doing the licensing and stuff like that, they're, they're going to be more on guard than they already are. Okay, so I'm interested, and, Adam. So you, you're a big Second Amendment guy. You, you sell firearms. You deal with this all the time. And, and, you, and you don't think that, you know, having, having to register and having to get the permit, you don't think that's unreasonable. No, no, I am. I am very, very for. I think they they should even do like um, a minimum of like how many class hours. Like you should have at least forty eight hours of class time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got like I have a mason jar in my shop full of rounds that I've taken out of handguns and rifles that people have brought <laughs> into the store for me to work on. Right. And, and, and it's loaded. And they don't realize the yeah, gun is yeah, loaded. They, wow. Yeah, <laughs> the, the gun is loaded. They pass me the gun. I clear it, and I'm like, well, there's another one for the jar. And and it's like, yeah. with this, no, you, I mean, you could have an 18-year-old kid that went out, grabbed his dad's gun, and now he's got it. In right. his, yeah, in sticking his in the ba- right, right, you're right. Thing, stick, sticking it in his belt, you know, and putting a pull in his jacket over it. Again, I, I, I don't want anybody listening to me thinking that I am against concealed carry. I am not. I was somebody who advocated this for years and years. I think the concealed carry program in Wisconsin has, by and large, been a success. It, it has, but I, I think sometimes you have a bridge too far. This, to me, is unnecessary legislation. Um, it is going to create huge ripples among all the anti-gun folks who don't think that law-abiding citizens should be able to carry firearms to begin with. And it's just going to give fuel to that. And, and again, I just, you, you wouldn't give a, you wouldn't, and I understand there's constitutional issues, so it's a little bit different, but you, you wouldn't give a car, set of car keys. Hey, you're 16 years old. Here's car keys. Go out and drive on the freeway. You know, you wouldn't do that. Why? Why would we just say to someone, okay, you know, here, take a gun, stick it in your waistband, pull your jacket over it, and go out on the streets without any sort of discussion at all about it? This is, in my opinion, it's bad legislation, and I hope the Republicans don't push this through because I think they're making a huge – number one, it's bad public policy. Number two, I think it's bad politics, big picture. Jim in Oak Creek. Jim, the last word is yours. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Yes. No, you're you're right right on right on, right spot on with this. Um, I just took uh, a year ago. Took my uh, both my grandkids through hunter safety. I've been at hunter for years. Yep. Um, went to hunter safety. We did minimum of twelve hours. Some of the courses depends on the instructor can go up to twenty one hours. That's gun safety to shoot an animal. I certainly think you need yeah. something to shoot a human being. Yeah, right, right. And thanks for if, if nothing else, I mean, like I, like I say, I think you could make an argument for proficiency training or something like that. But but that's not the story. I just don't think it's unreasonable to have to sit for a couple hours and have somebody explain to you, okay, the nature of the firearm and what the laws are and when you can use it. That is not unreasonable. Um, Gary in Oshkosh writes, I was an MP in the Army, so I was not required to take training to obtain my permit. In any event, I've taken training in advance of obtaining my Wisconsin permit because I thought it was a good idea. And now because I have concealed carry permits in four states, and have learned lessons of great value in each of the classes, most of which are for my own protection. Eliminating the training requirement is a bad idea for several reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. And this is for Republican legislators who are listening. All right, 
This is the general public, people who support the right to carry arms and believe in concealed carry permits, and a good portion of those people don't think it's a good idea to get rid of the permits. Wake up, guys and gals. 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten twenty nine, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Okay, so Jane Matnair, this is one of my favorite stories of the day. Nebraska teen faces a ten thousand dollar bill after driving a car into newly poured concrete. Apparently, what happens is there's this like sixteen year old kid driving a blue Honda Civic, um, who apparently they're, they're they're redoing the road. And they, they poured all this, like, new concrete, and they had orange cones that were out there because the concrete was waiting to dry. It's like if you ever have a sure. concrete driveway. It's got in. Right, it's got a set. Um, <laughs> so they had, like, poured the new concrete. The kid drives through the cones. The, now, the police report says it wasn't obvious that the they, – they didn't apparently have the cones put close enough together. So they're saying but maybe the kid could be confused. He, he drives this blue Honda Civic into it. And it sinks. So, so now you have the car. That's, that's something got, out of a movie. It, it is. You know, <laughs> can you imagine that? Can you imagine calling mom and dad? Hey, well, I, I've got a little bit of an issue here. I'm. Uh, did, did you crack up the car? Well, no, not exactly. The car is now stuck in concrete. Um, <laughs> apparently, they. Um, it's it's just kind of a mess because then you know they get the car. The car gets stuck in the concrete. The kid can't drive it out of the concrete, so the kid gets out, tries to bail. Now the concrete is setting around the car. It's just, maybe it's one of those stories that you look back at Thanksgiving 35 years later and you, and you laugh about, huh? Just, remember back that time? Right, you remember when you <laughs> sunk, the, you drove the car into the concrete? That was hilarious. Uh, yeah, depending on who pays that $10,000, <laughs> it was less than 30 minutes old when they went into it. I, I guess imagine the person putting out the concrete, you've poured this stuff, and then a half hour later, somebody's driven into it. My beautiful work. Um, just just saying, ten grand. that's out of Omaha, Nebraska. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Did you know that small talk in the workplace has actually been proven to be beneficial for career advancement? Hmm. John McCure shares the details at 434 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. I would imagine it would depend on what that small talk exactly is. If you're sitting around and the small talk involves griping about what an awful person the boss is, that's probably not the best. Or if your small talk involves... I don't know, something that's going to get you and your workplace uh, sued, you know, like, boy, that, that coworker he or she's really cute. That's probably not good. Small talk about, hey, how about those brewers? And by the way, how about those brewers? I understand that, you know, you had the loss yesterday, but two big wins, and they should have had a third win. I was, um, I was at an establishment in the West Bend area on Friday night, and I was watching the ball game on, on TV, and... What is the purpose of having instant replay if you can't get it right? There was a, a wild pitch, and the Brewer runner, I think it was Eric Thames, tries to score from third. He clearly scores from third. The umpire is in a bad position, calls him out. The replays, at least in my opinion, and everybody else in the bar and restaurant was that the guy was safe, and they come out and they uphold it. Craig Council ended up getting tossed out. I'm not sure he ever gets tossed out of games, but he got tossed out. It's like, okay, what's the purpose of having replay if they can't end up getting it right? So they should have won 
three out of four games against Arizona. That run would have, I think, you know, made the whole difference. Um, but you know, they're, they're still they're playing good ball. They're still in first place. It is so much fun to have the Brewers on and have the Brewers be relevant. Um, after you know, now now we're going into June. You know, we're past Memorial Day because the truth is, the last couple years they've gotten off to such rotten starts that. You know, by the end of April, or certainly by the end of Memorial Day, they're way under 500. They're way behind. I don't know how the season is going to work out. And again, they're they're probably not really ready to make a playoff run, but they're they're doing well. And you know, we're heading into June, and that's that's a very good step. Okay, I um, I saw this story, and I always try to kind of personalize these things. I have been. Very, very fortunate in my life to, in general, be blessed with good health. I, I, I have. I'm trying to think. I can. I have worked. Oh, I, I mean, essentially at full time jobs since my second year in law school because I was kind of working full time. Um, once I, you know, and, and even before law school, I, I spent you know, nine months working full time, and then you know spent heavy part time, and then worked full time since I got out of law school in the '80s. And with the exception of one occasion where my appendix burst or perforated and I, I was out for a couple of weeks. That was that was a mess. But with the exception of that, I can count on I can count on literally one hand the number of times that I've been gone because I was sick. I mean I've and you know and and it's you know, a couple times when you get the flu and stuff, and I'm talking about me sick. I mean, obviously, you know, sometimes if you have like a family emergency or something like that and somebody else is sick, you have to attend to that. But I mean, in all those years, I and I, I consider myself to, to be very blessed with that. At the same time, um, I like to think that I play hurt. In other words, it, look, if I'm if I'm if I got the flu and I'm communicable, I'm not going to come in and, and give Hondo and everybody else around here the flu. But for little aches and pains and minor ailments and stuff like that, I'm going to come to work. And and it's not that I haven't worked in places that have given you sick leave or you could take a day off now and then. It's just that you know it's it's just kind of not my, my nature. And I think that you know you 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 do that. So I was thinking about that when I saw this story in the Washington Post. There is this guy. His name is Cecil Exum. He's going to be 80 years old the week after next. He has been working for um, Marriott Hotels since he was 16 years old. So he's essentially spent the last 60-plus years working in one capacity or another for for Marriott. Um, He actually started with Marriott before it was called Marriott. Um, He... Used to work at a. He started off working at a root beer stand run by the Marriott family sixty plus years ago. He bust tables. He served sodas. He made banana splits. Um, the next year, the Marriotts opened their first hotel in Arlington, Virginia. Um, he was one of their first employees. He, he was a dishwasher, made seventy five cents an hour, took home thirty dollars a week, and then he worked his way up from the back of the kitchen to the front. Uh, now he works at the Crystal Gateway Marriott. He's been there for the last 24 years, um, and he he, fl- he makes omelets. That, that's what he does. He works the omelet station. Um, like I say, he's going to be 80 years old in, in two weeks. He's the longest-standing employee at Marriott. But here's here's the dazzling detail about this. He has never once called in sick. He's been there for over 60 years. And he's never, ever, ever 
called in in sick. He, he's always showed up. Doesn't matter what job he's been doing, he's always showed up. Now, I, I thought this was interesting because if you think about your workplace, my guess is, without naming names, don't name names, but if you think about your workplace, my guess is there's always going to be a handful of employees who call in sick all the time. And it doesn't, you know, it's just that there's always somebody who's always going to be out, out sick. And sometimes it's because they are just genuinely unhealthy. Um, sometimes it's going to be because they don't necessarily feel good, but because they just, all right, I don't feel good, so I, I don't think I, I want to come in. So they, they make that decision. But this guy has showed up every scheduled day for 61 years. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I, I just think back on different places that I have, have worked o- over over the years, and I'm not even going to think about TMJ here, but it's always seemed to me that you've had really two kinds of employees, some that are going to do everything they can to get to work, including some people who maybe come in when they shouldn't be coming in because it's like, hey, um, it seems like, you know, <laughs> you, don't be breathing on that same microphone that I'm using because it looks like you're really, really sick and I don't want to get sick. But you have some people that really, you know, they, they've got this ethic, they're driven, they want to show up. And then you've got other people who, at times, they are legitimately ill, and at other times, it's kind of like, well, you think maybe they're just they, they don't want to come in because they, they probably don't really feel good, but but you know they could come in. They're just choosing not to do it. Okay, our numbers are four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In general, do you think people abuse sick leave? This guy. Like I say, 61 years, he showed up. He gets sick leave, gets paid time off, but he, he showed up. Hasn't taken a sick day in over six decades. There's lots of people who take every possible sick day they can. Now, I understand a lot of places nowadays it's paid time off, so you don't get sick time necessarily. But here's somebody who's never showed up. That is that is abnormal. Do you think people abuse sick leave in the workplace and have you seen it? And what are the consequences of the people who are always gone because they are ill? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have some thoughts, and I want to discuss it with you. It's coming up. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. It's 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop in Kenosha today. Join John McCure and Wisconsin's Afternoon News as they broadcast live from 3 to 6 at the Woodman's on 120th Avenue. Register to win the incredible 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Chainsmokers perform at Summerfest next month. That's today from 3 to 6 at Woodman's on 120th Avenue in Kenosha. It's WTMJ's Classic Free Ride, sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and Summerfest. I um, this story about the guy who has worked at, at Marriott for over sixty years. He's eighty years old. His, his latest job is he makes omelets at one of the, the hotels. Never called in sick in more than sixty one years. Never called in sick. I um, I, I sometimes people ask me for like like advice on success in life, and I don't know that I'm the guy that give that advice. But one of the things I always say is that t- to me. 
80% is showing up. You know, if you if you show up, that's the, the start because so many people don't show up. You, you can't convince people that you can do a good job if, if you don't show up. And, and that's why it, I know it is so frustrating for people who do hiring, especially like entry-level hiring, that, you know, you, you hire somebody and then, you know, they're, they're working for two or three weeks and then they're calling in sick or, or doing whatever. I, I understand that that's just the overall frustration. You hear that from employers all over. It's like I, I try to advise people, you, you show up. Because then, you know, okay, even if you're not necessarily doing a great job, you're there. It shows that you're making an effort. You're, you're trying. But it's when people don't show up that it gets frustrating. And then from the perspective of employers, when they end up, when somebody, okay, calls in sick repeatedly. And I understand that there's going to be the situation where you, you've, you've got the flu, all right? Well, then nobody wants you coming in. But I'm talking about the folks who are habitually, you know, calling in sick it, at some point in time. No matter how talented they are, no matter how good they are, they just end up not being worth the trouble because, all right, somebody calls in sick and you, you have to you have to find somebody to replace them. A lot of times it's, it's at the last minute. So you're always in that scramble. And then if there's paid sick leave, you know, okay, you got to pay the other person to come in. It's just, it gets to be frustrating. Now, I think this guy who apparently if he's worked more than 60 years without, you know, calling in sick, that's... That that is really an, an incredible sort of thing. I mean, there's just no question about it that you could you know survive that long. And and there are occasions when you are going to end up being sick, but but at the same time, it's important. While you can't say, okay, I'm going to work 60 years and I'm never going to call in sick, I think it's important to also be one of those people who, well, at least tries to show up. Uh, our text line. I work for Quad Graphics, 14 years. Only missed two days. Missing no days in 61 years is nothing but incredible. Yeah, it, it just, it, it absolutely is. But I think part of it is obviously good genes and good health. But part of it is obviously, I think, a mindset because there were times, undoubtedly, I'm sure this guy, you know, didn't feel great or had a headache or whatever and decided, no, I'm going to tough it out and I'm going to come into work. And that's that's why, again, you know, if you're looking at this and you're looking to try to find success, showing up is at least 80%. And especially for young people, and it's something without picking on our friends who are millennials and all, I think that sometimes you, you lose sight of that. It's like, hey, I got this job. All right, well, that's uh, that's great. I've got the job. It's outstanding. But now I need Thursday and Friday off because, well, I've got this going on. And, you know, I just I was out late last night, and I'm. This guy kind of got a little bit of a headache or something, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to come in. Well, all right, if you want to figure out how you can succeed in life. Just look at the story of this guy who's, you know, who, who's worked, spent his entire career at Marriott, worked from essentially washing dishes, and now he's got a pretty darn good job. And part of it is he showed up. 1052, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Stick around. It is 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 10 minutes, the former Speaker of the House says that President Trump He's mostly been a complete disaster so far. A complete disaster. We will discuss that. That's coming up. I am I am interested in what gets people up, upset. I uh, Last week, you had the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals on, on what was essentially the equivalent of a party-line vote. All the, um, all the judges who were appointed by Democrats voted against the Trump travel ban, striking it down 
on what, in my opinion, with all due respect to the judges, was a very, very questionable legal theory. They said, well, you know, we, we can look at legislation and we can, in interpreting the intent of legislation, we could look at what a candidate said on the campaign trail, which is a really scary concept. But all the judges that were appointed by Democrats adopted that, so they struck down this tra- this modified travel ban, which says, hey, we're going to put, so- it would say, we're going to put some limits on people coming in from X number of countries, and I use countries in quotation marks, because in many cases, some of these places are nothing more than regimes, the idea being so we can make sure that we have some screening going on. The case is going to go to the Supreme Court. My prediction is it's ultimately going to be upheld by the Supreme Court, but that's just my prediction. But anyhow, you, you know, you had that case. Well, in North Carolina, I, I personally, I do not think the, the travel ban is un, is unreasonable. I, I just, I don't. Um, but it is a political issue. So anyhow, this is the latest. Um, there's a group called the North Carolina Pastors.net, and it's a, it, it's a group of conservative pastors, and they, they do controversial things. They have erected a series of billboards. Here's what the billboard says. Why support President Trump's immigration ban? Question mark, question mark, question mark. 19 Muslim immigrants killed 2,977 Americans September 11th, 2001. Okay, so now... now if, if you want to be a fact checker, the truth is that, that none of the 9-11 hijackers came in from countries that are associated with the, this, this particular ban. So you can argue that, well, you know, it, it should apply to more. I mean, I guess theoretically. So none of the people who were responsible for the September 11th hijackings, again, came in from countries that that are covered by this particular ban, but it is accurate. 19 Muslim immigrants killed 2,977 Americans. Um, it also ignores the fact that 32 Muslims died in uh, 9-11 as well. So, you know, you, you can say, all right, it's factually perhaps misleading. But this is, it's created this this huge issue. Um, the, the guy that heads the group says, hey, you know, we, you know, we, we believe that this was, this was part of this jihad, that was against, you know, uh, America. And um, he said, this isn't about hate. We're trying to make this a problem with, um, you know, certain with Islam and certain of the ideologies talking about like the, the, the radicalized extremists. Um, it, but this has created a huge issue because a lot of people are saying, oh, this is this terrible thing. You know, this is anti-Christian. I don't know. I mean, I guess I look at this, and would I have paid to put up a billboard like this? No. But at the same time, um, if they want to come out and they want to advocate for the immigration ban, I I don't know that the 9-11 parallel is the best, like I say, because the countries that are covered aren't necessarily, aren't the countries where the people who hijacked the planes came from. At the same time, I think this is a discussion that we end up having to have. And I'm trying to have this on this program from time to time where we say, all right, let's let's look at the realities of, of terrorism. And I understand that when we talk about things like profiling, that that's that's horrible. This is awful. But the truth is, 75-year-old African-American ladies on walkers aren't the ones that are suicide bombing outside of concerts in Manchester, um, you know, England. So we, we need to have a dose of reality with this as well. All right, speaking about a dose of reality... Um, John Boehner, the former Speaker of the House, says Trump's presidency so far is mostly a complete disaster. We will discuss. That's coming up. It's 1059. It's 11.08. Jeff Wagner, Sochain. As you know, I've been fascinated by this Tiger Woods thing all, all day. I mean, yes. It, and it's, as I was saying at the start of the show, 
Nobody takes a good mug shot. I mean, it's just uh, no. I mean, it's, it's it, you're not catching somebody at their best. That's just the thing. And Woods, for people who hadn't heard the story, um, got arrested 3 a.m. on Monday morning. So Sunday night, Monday morning, Memorial Day weekend, um, by his home in Jupiter, Florida. He was charged with driving under the influence. The mug shot. Well, it. it Tiger does not appear to have aged well. If you look at at the mugshot now, admitted it's three o'clock in the morning. Um, there, there, there's more reports coming out about this. So here's the latest: Tiger Woods needed to be woken up by an officer as his Mercedes was found stopped on a Florida roadway early Monday morning, before he was arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence. It should be noted that Woods was asleep at the wheel had to be woken up, according to the arresting officer. The vehicle was running. The brake lights were illuminated, as well as the right blinker flashing. Now, here's where it's interesting. Um, A a breath blood alcohol test administered showed no signs of alcohol in his system. He blew a 0.0. A urine sample was collected. His story is that he was taking prescription he's, he's had all sorts Hurt of problems yeah. and so he was taking all sorts of prescription medicine and that's what would cause this oh but okay um woods was described as being sluggish sleepy extremely slow and slurred speech said he didn't know where he was changed his story of where he was going and where he was coming from asked how far he was from his house um woods now so obviously he screwed up woods failed a field sobriety test after his vehicle was found stopped on the roadway. Right, here's what I thought was was interesting about this. All right, um, they said he, he was unable to, like, walk the straight line. They did the heel and toe sort of thing. You know, couldn't do that. They They said that after he... They explained instructions to him several times. This is one of the field sobriety tests. This is what I want to ask you about, Jane. Okay. Woods was able to complete the task of reciting the national anthem backwards. Okay. I, I okay, drunk or sober. I mean, could, could you recite the national anthem back? I, I assume you were stone cold sober, right? Ms. Yes. There? <laughs> Today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Today, and it's eleven ten. You know, talk to me two hours, Jeff. But well, no, no, no. I mean, stone cold sober. Wow, that's impressive. I mean, I, I th- that's have, part I, of a test. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do that now. I mean, I mean I've heard. I mean, part of it's like I, I've always wondered about this because it's like I know part of it says recite the alphabet backwards. I I mean I guess if I really thought about it, I have to go through. But I mean, okay, the national anthem backwards. Wow, that's a pretty stringent test. Uh, well, right. I mean, like I say, I mean now obviously he was screwed up. You know, obviously, you know, he'd been taking lots of medications and things like that. But I, what struck me as interesting is part of the te- reciting the national anthem backwards. Well, now I'm going to go home and practice. <laughs> yeah, and and have a couple have a couple drinks maybe beforehand to see if you. I know it's just now. Obviously, maybe they make it easier because who could who could do the national anthem backwards? I mean, I guess oh say can you see? And then if you think about it, you could you know work it backwards. But wow, um, I, I said this earlier. I, I think obviously. Um, you know, Tiger Woods has kind of fallen on hard times since, you know, he was kind of exposed as being the philanderer and the, the, the golden boy image really wasn't true. Um, he's kind of had a, a tough time and his body is sort of messed up and you wonder if he's ever going to play golf again. He still pulls in um, tens of millions of dollars in endorsements. And there was speculation that this latest incident might really kill that. And, and to me, I think part of it's going to be it might. Part of it's going to be, though, you know, what's. 
what would happen if it turns out he really wasn't drinking and he was just you know this this was a reaction to medication or something maybe people um maybe he'll be able to survive it but you do get the idea that um i, I don't know uh tigers tigers kind of fallen on hard times all right Speaking of falling on hard times, President Trump is back from his nine-day European trip. I think even among the people who are hardcore anti-Trump folks, you have to feel that what he did in the Middle East, I mean, generally speaking, he got very, very good reviews when he was in Saudi Arabia, when he was in Israel. And I think a lot of people were thinking, all right, maybe are you ever going to get peace in the Middle East? Well, okay, most of us are skeptical about that. But um, the, the Trump approach, I, I think, was being it was getting at least some positive reception. That okay, maybe you know you, you have a new sheriff that's in town, and they're going to take a new harder line on these things. I, I think in general, his trip to the Middle East was um, went well. Um, he goes to Italy, he meets with the Pope, and uh, again, I, I think that that went well. Most objective people would say that that went well. And then he goes to the, um, you know, European conference, the um, the E seven, and that that didn't necessarily go so well. Um, Trump comes out, and he, well, at least in the eyes of the mainstream media, uh, Trump comes out and he lectures the other leaders about how how they have to pay their fair share to to maintain NATO. Um, and and some of, of course the Europeans got upset with being told that they have to to you know contribute and pay their fair share. Um, you know he also essentially it was a lot of an America first type of thing. You know and he was kind of suggesting that you know we you know America cannot be the the policeman for everybody and that some of the European countries need to start pulling more of your own weight. That did not go over well in in Europe. And so you know some of the other you know, leaders, particularly uh, you know Merkel in Germany and the leader of France, you know they were um, they were out there. Uh, they, they were saying, okay, well maybe you know we have to realize that we can't count on uh, America, and it did not go over as well. But you know, regardless, it was his first foreign policy trip. Meanwhile, back at home, former House Speaker John Boehner decides that he's going to be speaking at a conference and somebody asks him you know what he thinks about the trump presidency so far and the former speaker of the house classifies president trump's first 100 days in office as being with the pos okay well here's what he says um trump has handled national security and foreign policy issues well but everything else he's done in office has been a complete disaster um he's still learning how to be president um but a complete disaster and he talks about how these uh, efforts to reform the tax code that's going to be happy talk it's not going to go anywhere tax reform is just a bunch of happy talk he says um criticizes you know what's going on says he doesn't know anything about the um you know russian government interference but he said that um, essentially complete disaster, a complete disaster. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has the Trump presidency so far, with the exception of foreign policy, which Boehner carves out, has it been a complete disaster, or is is he not get is he being judged unfairly 
by people who don't believe he was legitimately elected and a mainstream media that can't stand him. Has it been a complete disaster? And that's not my words. That's John Boehner's words. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. It's 1116. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So John Boehner describes the Trump presidency so far as being a complete disaster. I understand that there's many people who are listening right now who are saying that's absolutely right. It is a complete disaster. Boehner exempts uh, the foreign policy type of stuff. Well, look, I I understand how frustrating President Trump is. I understand that there's some people who just don't like the year. I can't even believe he said President Trump. That That's awful. Um, but the truth is... This presidency has not been a complete disaster. Many of the problems, in my opinion, are, are sort of self-inflicted wounds. It's, it's stuff he can't stay on message. And that's I don't blame the people around him. And there's another rumor today about, you know, various shakeups that they're, they're going to have. But but, you know, a president needs to stay on message. And unfortunately, he can't stay on message. Now, that is aided and abetted by a mainstream media that I think is very, very harsh and wants to see him fail. So they're, they're looking at, at every different opportunity they can find to, again, create a distraction. So instead of talking about the stuff that I think people really care about, which is tax reform, which is health care, we get sidetracked on, on these different issues of the day. And I acknowledge that Trump plays into this. Um, the decision to fire, you know, James Comey, which you know was the big story for a couple of days. I predicted that it would be gone from the news, and now it is gone from the news. But there's another scandal du jour. You know, this one is, gee, his brother, his son-in-law, ends up meeting with the Russians after he's elected. Oh, now we've got to call him, and it's just, it's, it's one story after another. All of which. I think are by and large distractions to what the American people really care about. Now, I understand if there's evidence that before the election, the Trump campaign was colluding with the Russian government to try to undermine Hillary Clinton. That's a story. But but so far, there's no significant evidence of of that. There's no real evidence of that. But um, and so the result is those become the, the stories of of the day. Um, and they've clearly gotten the administration off message. But the, the term complete disaster is, is pretty broad, and I, I, think that that's, I, I think that that's unfair. The truth of the matter is that health care needs to, in my opinion, be reformed. Obamacare will collapse unless something is done. And this, unless you want to completely let it collapse, you, you have to do something about that. You know, tax reform, would I like to have seen tax reform get done quicker? Yeah, I would. But there's a huge split right now as to how you're going to pay for it. When we had Paul Ryan on a couple weeks ago, one of the things that he was saying is that any tax reform has to be revenue neutral. In other words, you're, you're not going, we're not going to ra- end up raising taxes. So that means if you want to do a lot of the stuff that gets paid for, you have to figure out how you're going to pay for it. The House wants to put an import tax on. The Senate doesn't want to do that. Okay, complete disaster. Joe in West Dallas. Joe, you're first. Hello. Hi. Um, you know, I've, I've been watching TV, all the channels, all the stations, and it's it's there's a lot of, a lot of stuff he's doing. He's shooting himself in the foot. He does and that. Yep. It, yeah. You know, the, the Obamacare should be fixed. Instead of coming out, they talked about 
the Walmart family going to get a two hundred and fifty something million dollar tax break? You know, they really need that. They really need that big tax break. Well, what, and they're oh, so taking money. When you say complete disaster, I mean, so you would, you, you think it's been pretty much a a failure all across the board. You know what I think? I think his ego is so much bigger than anything else. And he showed that when he pushed that guy over, the guy from uh, Montenegro, some country, some... Kind of, kind of pushed him out of the way to get the shop. picture, yeah. And then he gets up there like a bully in school when he pushes somebody over, and he's gloating like, you know, with his jaws. He looked like a bulldog that just ate a little cat. Um, you know, I pushed him out of the way. Here I am right in the middle. Well, thanks. Now, now some people would argue... I'm not necessarily sure I'm one of them. Some people would argue that that was, that was something that he decided that he, he wanted to, that was the image that he wanted to create, that he thought that, you know, over the last X number of years, that what happened was that the United States had kind of taken a back door and Obama had let himself and the country get, you know, walked all over by Europe. So part of the strategy was, okay, that this is, that at least one of the theories is that part of the strategy was that Donald Trump was going to go and say that there's this new sheriff in town and that, you know, we're not going to get pushed around and, you know, th- this is what needs to happen. You need to contribute. You need to contribute your fair share to, to NATO. And um, I, I'm not going to allow as the leader of, you know, the, the one real true superpower left in the world, I'm not going to, you know, allow the tail to be wag, wag the dog. And you need to understand that now. That's the one view of it. The other view would be the one you expressed, Joe, which is the guy's just kind of rude and a bully and doesn't understand anything together with uh, doesn't understand anything to do with diplomacy. You know, Betsy writes, uh, "Let's call a spade a spade." The president embarrassed all of us when he lectured NATO leaders like they are children about an agreement that he obviously doesn't, you know, understand. Um, does our president not understand the agreement? Um, is he simply trying to bully his wishes into fact? Boehner is um, spot on. Now, of course, it is ironic coming from John Boehner, who was pretty much, you know, f- for whatever reasons, you know, kind of failed as the Speaker of the House of Representatives, while, you know, which is the reason why he's out now. I think complete disaster is, is a tough term. And, and I understand on any given day, it's kind of like, okay, what's the Trump story du jour? I find his manner to be off-putting. I, I, I do. I, I think if uh, I think if they took the Twitter account away from him, he would be better off. But I'm not convinced it's a complete disaster. And when it comes to foreign policy, I, I think he's saying some things that need to be said. Judy on the northwest side. Judy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I do not think that uh, presence is a complete disaster at all. It's just that we have been without leadership for so, so, so long and bowing to the wrong people and passing the wrong laws to be liked. Mm-hmm. We have a leader. Sometimes it's abrasive, but you know what? It needs to be said. Right. So you think it's just what we're, what people are reacting to is, is some people are reacting to style and some people are reacting to the substance because here you have a, a guy who's implementing conservative sort of policies and that's just not consistent with what the mainstream media wants to do. I agree. Yeah, and I think there's, I mean, I think there's some of it. To me, the jury's thought. Is it a complete disaster? You know, ap- absolutely not. Um, style-wise, I understand why this is controversial. Um, he's got a different style. I'm just going to be really curious to see where we are a year from now, because I guess the question is, the stuff he's doing is either going to work 
or it's not going to work and his approval ratings are going to drop into the 20 percentile and then it's going to be a bloodbath for an election in November of 2018 and then we're off to the races. I think it could go honestly either way. It's 1126. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How, well, let's see, with President Trump's son-in-law now reportedly under FBI scrutiny in the Russia probe, how will this impact the administration as it returns from its first foreign trip? Scafidi and Billstead have the latest from the White House at 1235 today. Hey, if you haven't checked out uh, Eric and Steve's show, do it. They do a really, really good job. And I don't know, I see, I still think. I, I still think that at this point in time, this this constant drumbeat of stories about Russia, it's sort of like the, the shark attack stories years ago where, you know, we, we went through like the summer of shark attacks. So far, I'm not convinced that there's any there there to this. But again, it's it's the this becomes the story du jour. And what is so frustrating to me is agree, you know, with where they're go- we're going with health care or agree or not with where we're going about tax reform, that those those are the issues that I think most people care about. Admittedly, if it turns out that the Trump campaign, like I say, was coordinating with the Russians during the campaign to undermine Hillary Clinton, that's a big story. But, okay, whether Jared Kushner meets with a Russian ambassador or meets with Russians after the election, talking about, you know, can we open up lines of communication? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So so what? And So what? I mean, seriously. Just saying. All right. There's a really interesting lawsuit involving where sex offenders should live, and you might be a little bit surprised by my take on this. I will explain that to you in just a couple minutes. It's 11.34, Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. It is so frustrating to me that we we racialize everything now, and the default position is, well, there's got to be a racial issue to this. Um, there's a story that I haven't talked about yet, but I... I, I I am going to be focusing on in the next couple of days because it's it's generating a lot of attention in the Fox River Valley. It's the shooting outside or inside the, this bar up in Appleton, Jack's Apple Pub. Um, here, here's what happened: a 33 year old guy from Milwaukee named Jimmy Montel Sanders was fatally shot by Appleton police. Um, what about it was May 20 early in the morning on on May 21st, so about 10 10 days ago. Um, and I, I say this just because I pointed out just because, like I say, things are being racialized. Jimmy Montel Sanders was black. The Appleton police officer who shot him, Jay Steinke, is white. So that apparently in and of itself is enough to generate protests. There is an investigation that is ongoing as to what happened here. But it seems like a complete and total mess in in the bar. So this is early morning hours of May 21st. Steinke and another officer get called to this bar it's like because people are running out, screaming, yelling that there was somebody shooting inside. All right? Um, Steinke, the white cop, sees a man with a gun and shot him. That's what the, that's what the, the police the chief says. Um, Harry Nellum, Henry Nellum, the man accused of shooting at another man inside the bar, was charged Tuesday. Nellum's gun was found under a vehicle outside the bar. Um, so there is a shooting that's going on at the bar. People are running. It is hysterical. The cops come in. Um, there is a guy that is, in fact, shooting. It does not appear to be the man that ultimately end up being shot. Um, no one, No one knows exactly 
you know, what the guy that was shot, what his involvement was in the fight that led to the shooting of the other guy um, Saturday. But here, and so we, we just don't know what happened. But you get this idea that there's this chaotic scene. There's shots inside this bar in the early morning hours, and you have, you know, the, the police that are responding to this. And I, I think it's, you know, you, know you, you want to, you know, wait and see you know, what's what's happening there. And, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, th- this report that's out there. And it, it may, again, I, I don't know what happened. And th- this guy says he knows something about it. And until the report comes out, I'm not going to put that on the air. But I, I'm glad to talk to him once the report comes out. But, I- again, I don't know what happened in the bar that night other than the fact that you've got, again, this kind of chaotic situation, shots fired in the bar, the police, you know, responding to it. Don't know the circumstances behind this. But what's frustrating to me, and again, maybe this is going to turn out to be a police shooting that was was a, was a bad shooting. Again, I don't know. You've got the cops. It's the middle of the night. You've got this chaotic scene. They're, they're running in, and clearly there were shots fired and there was a gun. The man who ended up being shot, I don't know that he had the gun. But but what's happening now is on Saturday, a group of more than 70 people protested in downtown Appleton against what they perceive as conflicts of interest in the investigation, racism, and the criminal justice system, and the circumstances that led to Sanders' death. Going back to the premise, I don't know if the police, again, I don't know if there's a justified shooting. I don't know what happened inside that, that bar. Don't know if the right guy ended up getting shot or, or whatever. Don't know if this is a situation where you had somebody who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Don't know any of that. But nobody else does either. And so the reaction here is 70 people are protesting. And, again, they are, they're, they're racializing that this entire thing. I mean, they apparently some of the protesters stormed this meeting of the Safety and Licensing Committee, you know, screaming, let us speak, do your job. You know, well, okay, people are trying, you know, to do th- their job. But but we have to, I guess there's some people out there who are, again, who are trying to, you know, racialize the entire thing. And it's frustrating. It's one of the reasons I haven't talked about it before, because I want to wait and see what happens. They're doing this investigation. They're doing this report. Maybe it's going to turn out to be a bad shooting. I don't know. But nobody else does anyhow either. And the default position is let's storm, in this case, you know, one of these licensing committee meetings and let's start complaining about this because obviously the fact that it was a white cop and a black guy who ended up getting shot, that means that there must be some racial thing. Well, okay, maybe, maybe, but maybe there's a lot of other explanations as well. And isn't it in everybody's interest to wait until the report comes out? And they're saying they think that the report, um, I get the idea that this was a chaotic scene that night, and they're saying they expect to have something um, by the end of the week, a report as to what happened. And again, once you have the facts, then you can decide whether or not you need to take to the streets and protest. But maybe you should, until you know what happened, until people have a theory as to what happened, maybe you should just kind of hang out and wait. Just saying. It's 1140. Okay, when we come back, where where are we going to put them? Where are we going to put them? Stick around. It's 1140. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1144. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is the Main Mill in Menominee Falls. 
How's that for alliteration? The Main Mill in Menominee Falls. Featuring homemade barbecue, tasty steaks, and a variety of signature dishes, you can enjoy them all on the Main Mill's Elevated Deck Dining Experience. This Friday at 12 o'clock. Friday at 12. Get a $50 certificate for only $25. It is like stealing. You're going to eat there anyways. Eat there at half price. These go quickly. We only have 100 available. Get yours this Friday starting at noon by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. Look, I understand that nobody wants a sex offender living next door to them. Believe me, I get it. I wouldn't either. At the same time, people who are convicted sex offenders who have served their sentences, and you can argue that, hey, the sentences are too lenient or whatever, that's a different discussion. But at some point in time, somebody serves their sentence, they are released into the community, and they have to be supervised. Well, you, you have to you have to put them somewhere, and not all, but many of the people who are convicted sex offenders in the state, probably a disproportionate number, come from the Milwaukee area. Now, typically, when you serve your sentence, you go back, you go home. You know that that's you know you're in prison. You you go you go home. You go to familiar surroundings. You you go home. Well, what what they did in Milwaukee back in 2014 is. They decided, the city of Milwaukee said, all right, we we don't want sex offenders living in our city, even though the sex offenders might have come from our city. So they passed an ordinance. And, and Milwaukee, by the way, is not the only community that has this ordinance, but it, it, it it's a bigger deal in Milwaukee because, like I say, there's more, more sex offenders coming from Milwaukee than, say, from Oostburg or, or whatever. So they passed an ordinance in Milwaukee. I don't know why I picked Oostburg. It just came to mind. They passed an ordinance which bans convicted sex offenders when they're released, and they're still under some degree of supervision, from living within 2,000 feet. It's 2,000 feet. That, that's like 70 yards. So you think of that. Yeah, it's really, you know, it, it's relatively, well, 70 yards is, is, you know, it's a decent distance. So it bans sex offenders from living within 2,000 feet of a school, a park, a daycare, or another area where children congregate. And my understanding is they also apply that to be churches as well. All right. So you might say, well, that makes sense. Well, the problem is in the city of Milwaukee, there's almost no place that you could live that isn't within 2,000 feet of a school, a park, a daycare center, or another area where children congregate, playgrounds, you know, whatever. It's, it's almost impossible to find a location. So the Journal Sentinel reporting today that there's, that means that Milwaukee has almost 2,400 registered sex offenders, and there's only 117 designated residences where these people can live in. There, there's just there's no place for them because of this ordinance. So what I think the people who drafted the ordinance were hoping is that this would end up causing people to, you know, the, the sex offenders to go somewhere else. You know, here we're going to put them in we're going to put them in somebody else's neighborhood. We'll, we'll send them up to Oostburg or or whatever. Well, because they can't find a place to live around here. Well, 
all right, that hasn't been what's played out. What's happened is the sex offenders have come back to Milwaukee. There's no place for them to live. There's nowhere to go. So many of them just end up on the streets, which isn't an acceptable alternative anyways. So what's happened here is that you have six sex offenders who are now suing the city of Milwaukee over this ordinance, which essentially bans them from, you know, living in bans them from living in, you know, these various areas, essentially keeps them out of of the city of of Milwaukee. Now, my take on this is I don't know about the constitutionality of it, but this is my opinion, with all due respect to the people who live in the city of Milwaukee, that this is bad public policy, because if nothing else, I mean, these are people who have to be released somewhere. The city of Milwaukee wants to say, okay, even though they committed their crimes here, even though they came from here, we don't want them back. So here, we're going to send them somewhere else. Well, that's not good for them. They're on the streets now because they can't find a place to live. That's not good for them. At some point in time, I think you have to broaden, broaden the areas where people can live. Also, and a couple people on our text line, I'll make this point, there, there's different degrees of sex offender. And, you know, to lump all sex offenders into one category, I, I think maybe is, is a little bit unfair. Maybe what you want to say is, you know, for people who've committed certain types of crimes and maybe crimes against children and maybe crimes were committed relatively recently about children, well, maybe there's more of a reason to keep them away from living within 50 yards of, of a school or a park or, or whatever versus somebody else who has a different sort of, of conviction. Bottom line is that this this is a mess, and I don't want you to interpret this as me being like soft on sex offenders or things like that. It's not. But after somebody has served their sentence, they've got to go somewhere. And to me, it makes the most sense for those people to come back into the community from which they came from. If you're going to have any chance at rehabilitation or whatever, you want them back in familiar surroundings to the extent that that is possible. And the city of Milwaukee has pretty much, with this ordinance, made sure that the sex offenders that come from the city of Milwaukee, once they're being released, if you believe they're a problem, the city of Milwaukee has said, okay, not our problem anymore. Here, we're going to st- we want them to have to go somewhere else. So coming to a community near you, you know, a, a registered sex offender, because the city of Milwaukee has put up all these different types of ordinances. I guess I think what should happen is, and maybe you need the state to intervene in this, I mean, I think a priority should be given to returning people to the area from which they came. And that to the extent you have a community, whether it's Milwaukee or Fox Point or whatever, that enacts these different restrictions that makes it impossible for people to come back, um, you know, that's 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 where I think you need to draw the line. Because otherwise, you know, some places in the state become dumping grounds and other places in the state, like Milwaukee, say, okay, not our problem. We're going to put up this fence and we're not going to let people in. They've got to end up going somewhere. See, that's the, the thing. And I just don't think a local community should be able to say we're not going to take back 
people who committed crimes in our community, the rest of you, the rest of the state, you have to live with it and figure out where to put people. And that even hasn't worked because even if they can't live somewhere, what's happening now, like I say, is more of these people are coming back. They can't find a place to live that's not within 2,000 feet of a school or a church or whatever, so they end up on the streets. You want to talk about something that's pretty much guaranteed to cause them to commit some extra crime, put them on the streets in a homeless fashion. The, the whole thing is just it, we need to revamp our procedures. And I say this understanding that, no, would I, would I want a registered sex offender living across the street from me? No, I, I wouldn't. But at the same time, if the registered sex offender came from my community, I don't think it would necessarily be fair to set up ordinances that stop him from being returned to my community and stick him in your community.